Because no race has the last word on culture and on civilization. They do not know what we are capable of. They do not know what we are thinking. They are thinking in terms of dreadnoughts, battleships, aeroplanes, submarines. You know what we are thinking about? That is our own private business. You are listening to The Brown CEO. You are listening to The Brown CEO. I'm your host, Selma Idris. Follow the conversation every week as I speak to some of the dopest minds from around the planet about what's broken and how we're going to fix it. This is The Conversation Between Us, every Tuesday. Yalla, let's go. So on the agenda for today is a conversation with educator and former professional football player, Coach Wayne Blair. Wayne has coached and taught at the collegiate and high school levels, including coaching over 25 first-team all-county linebacker and defensive line and five defensive players of the year, and a growing list of Olympians in track and NFL athletes. Um, He's a graduate of Tulane University. Uh, He also has a graduate degree from the University of New Haven and has also taught at the elementary school level and has extensive experience in education as a behavioral specialist. Welcome, Wayne, to the show today. Hi, Sally. Um, Just a quick, uh let me give you a quick background. Me and Selma met back in, uh, geez, (laughs) early 20s. Uh, I was a year older and uh, a budding. What do you mean early 20s? We're 18 years old. I was 18, you were 19. Oh, you were 20. You were older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Old dog, old dog, old dog. So, um, you know, my sophomore year, your freshman year, if I'm correct. Yep. I have no idea where this is going. I'm very nervous. Go ahead. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. There's (laughs) going to be nervous about. I'm going to say you were my woke coach. Oh, Help me to understand, you know, what, you know, being a student athlete was indentured servitude and, and, and you know, uh, a collaborator in understanding myself and my, my own net worth. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Wayne. You're I'm, welcome. Wow. But it's true. I'm humbled by that because I am very proud of all your, your accomplishments um, since Tulane. And I wanted to talk to you today about um, not only your own journey as a student athlete, um, but also how you've taken that experience into coaching um, not only athletes, but but students and uh, people also with a behavioral, uh, uh, be, being a behavioral specialist. So... Let, let's talk about you for a second. Let's. What's your background? So, wait. You were you're Jamaican blood, but born in Canada, because everybody always just thinks you're a Florida boy, right? No, yeah. I did very well. Um, my parents came to Florida back in 1979, 1980, and we moved from uh, Toronto, Canada, where we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, my were you born in Car- Toronto? I was born in in, in Toronto, mm-hmm. and um, I have shoot. I have two two older brothers. Uh, I have a younger sister, but she was born here. 
Um, my background as far as uh, uh, everything football for me was basically gained and, and, and learned being here in the, you know, being a subplant, as I call it, Floridian, Canadian, Jamaican, uh, everything that I got and I understand as far as about the game and being able to give back was from, you know, being raised here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So, um, you're in the heart of football uh, country, right? Dead smack in the heart of, uh, uh, football country going from, uh, Canada where it's, uh, hockey and, uh, you know, like soccer. Uh, my first, uh, experience with the game of football actually happened in Canada. Hmm. Uh, and that was like my parents, uh, sending us, you know, uh, for our summers instead of, you know, staying home and going to camps and stuff like that. My parents basically made sure that we got out to, you know, different places. I eat the place where we were, where, where they were from, uh, out to Jamaica, out to Canada. And my first experience with football was my aunt sent me to a tryout camp at age 14 for the Canadian Football League and I ended up making the squad and they were and this was like my real first experience actually you know with the game of football and any type of professionalism and I was just in the 10th grade now granted you know my parents helped you know I played little league football and all of that other okay. stuff but I never anything about it as far as, you know, professionally. And then, you know, that to me just kind of opened the door and pushed me towards uh, working hard to be able to become, you know, a student athlete and um, saving my parents a lot of money. Were you, uh, how, what kind of student were you before football? Did it change the kind of student that you were in school or? Um, that experience for sure changed the, the, the type of, uh, student that I was going to be become because, you know, I was on that path of, you know, least resistance. I didn't want to, you know, I did just enough. I, I, I didn't take the studies serious. Um, but again, then there were a lot of lessons for me to be learned in the history classes as far as his story and you know, uh, uh, my math classes and my science classes. So I ended up picking it up and getting a good enough grade point average. Never been a test taker as far as standardized tests is concerned. Mm -hmm. SAT, ACT, you name it. But if I was put into a place where I could do the work, I could definitely, you know, uh, uh, make my way around and understand enough of the content. Okay. So what was your school experience after that? Like, did you end up going to a different school because you could play football? Did you, is that when you went to St. Thomas? Aquinas? Yeah, I went to a predominantly all black school in, you know, traditionally rich Fort Lauderdale called Dillard High. Mm -hmm. And then parents uh, um, and they made the decision to move me over to St. Thomas Aquinas High School. And it was uh, a definite uh, uh, experience for me because, you know, that's when I came into contact and communication with uh, more flavor 
more different people mm -hmm. uh, as far as, you know, my background being Canadian and, you know, everybody kind of talks to Queens English and, you know, you have an understanding and every race, creed, color, you name it, you're probably pretty much interacting and you grow up with it and it's normal. Mm -hmm. But here in South Florida, completely different culture shock and, you know, uh, uh, everybody was kind of separate in their ways. And for me growing up, it was trying to like bridge the gap and, you know, not per se fit into just one culture or one box. I was trying to understand and, and know everybody. So I think um, that helped me continuous, you know, mold to be, you know, as I say it, open-minded, open-hearted and willing and accepting of uh, other people's traditions and colors and, and possibilities that they have going. What, were you uncomfortable when you went to, when you started at St. Thomas Aquinas? Was it a difference? Was it a culture shock for you from Dillard to, a and then you went to St. Thomas because you got a football scholarship? Uh, financial, it was financial aid based and, and, oh, and it was taken. And it was what? the easy. I said, and it was taken care of. So it was under a, a, a scholarship and it was under somebody's uh, name. Actually, it was actually under Michael Irvin, meaning the, the famous uh, NFL mm -hmm. pro football player for the Dallas Cowboys. So I was a recipient of that scholarship and that allowed me to attend St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Okay. But culture shock, yes. Um, Catholic school, um, kids with different backgrounds, socioeconomic uh, possibilities and opportunities. Everybody was just completely different from uh, uh, Dillard High. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time, you know, pre-Bill pre, uh, Clinton, um, it was uh, uh, a lot of things that was going on in a historical context at that time. And, you know, being one of, uh, uh, let's see, out of probably a graduating senior class of 250, I want to say there was about 45 to 50 of us uh, African-American Black mm -hmm. or then there was another small percentage of whether it be uh, Asian uh, or, or Hispanic as well. So it, we were a, a small group in uh, in the whole scale of things. So, where did you me, find it, your strength in that? Like, where did you did you find mentorship within that environment? Um, uh, mentorship mainly was from home. And, you know, parents being two hardworking people and then the outside uh, job that I had at the time, mm -hmm. as far as my mom was, a, 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 as I call it, work at home, work at, at, at a home nurse. And she would basically work with hospice care um, individuals, uh, a lot of retirees. And I, in turn, became her assistant and was working and helping and taking care of uh, older 
uh, males and females, uh, mainly Jewish uh, uh, people at the time. So for me, my, like I said, my mm -hmm. experience and my growing up was completely different from, I would say, uh, a traditional person, student athlete. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, too, because you're also, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but going into other people's homes, um, let's say more affluent people who are able to, you know, afford that in-home care and seeing the experiences that you've had coming up and also being at Dillard in a public school and then receiving this culture shock at St. Thomas at the same time that you were, you know, starting this work with your mom, um, in all of this happening in South Florida, <laughs> in the very segregated, um, racially divided, uh, racially tense area of South Florida, um, I think is very interesting in in how it made you, um, and also what it, what you know, you're one of the most caring people I know, um, and I think that lends to being a coach. And an a good educator and a good coach. Um, and I, that nursing experience I, always sticks out to me as like, wow, I can imagine a 14-year-old big black dude from a football team, <laughs> you know, walking yeah. into somebody's house. <laughs> the, the, the quick, interesting story. I used to take care of one of my mom's patients. His name was Henry. Henry was an old, uh, older gentleman from uh, New York, moved out to uh, California, and then you know, obviously in his retirement years, came down here to Florida. And um, he was an, a, a producer. And, uh, you know, just sitting down and having conversations with him and, you know, just being a lending ear and talking into it when he was supposed to, uh, by, by diagnosis, he was supposed to probably die, I want to say, within three to four months. But he ended up living a heck of a lot longer because, you know, somebody actually cared and was interested. And, and, and to me, that's what I felt at that time that he was more, he was more interested in being around and being relevant versus, you know, uh, I won't say his last name, but his family, you know, basically chewing at the bits and waiting for him to, you know, pass away so they can, you know, have everything that that person had. And to me, you know, just being there, seeing that and, you know, ushering him through before, you know, he before he decided to pass along and, you know, pass. so it was a, a, a very interesting and that that experience pretty much uh, stayed with me. And I think it lends me to be uh, more of when I say coach, I, I think of life coach being a teacher, somebody that, you know what I'm saying, understands. And at the same time, you're not just there for, you know, one thing of the person or the growth of a person. You're there for any and everything of the person. So that, that to me, kind of, uh, I think would some say sum me up in, in little words or none. Who are some of the coaches that have influenced your life the most, whether it be high school, college, the CFL? Um, well, uh, Buddy Tevens, the my first coach at Tulane University, who's now the uh, head coach at uh, Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. uh, he... Um, 
he ideally came to, you know, me at a time when, um, at that time, going to a smaller school wasn't, you know, popular. Mm-hmm. And he, to me, was a very good uh, recruiter in the sense because he understood, I guess, that I thought more about, you know, the long-term ability of, you know, not just being a football player, but, you know, uh, in life, a father, a husband, and, you know what I'm saying, a, 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 a somebody that could potentially, you know, help and give back to, you know, my community, uh, my family's uh, family down the road in uh, uh, different travels, i.e. Jamaica, Canada, and all of my you know, deep-rooted. So I think that he he helped me to be able to see that big picture and understand uh, my high school coach or, you know, basically uh, bringing me into a situation and helping me to, you know, understand the many facets of, you know, this world and how people are and, you know, understanding my net worth and my value. So I say him and then uh, people that I've read about or actually uh, uh, did some research on, I say uh, Eddie Robinson mm-hmm. from uh, Ramblin' University doing and seeing and witnessing some of, you know, those games that he got to win and at the same time reading and understanding, you know, what type of person that he was as a coach, much more than a coach, just a, you know, a father and overall human being and, and caregiver to, you know, the masses of uh, teenagers looking to become, you know, adults. So those are uh, a few names that, you know what I'm saying, I hold near and dear to uh, my heart. And then, you know, I guess the list for me is continuously growing, but again, I want to be able to set my own trend and and do my own thing and be able to stamp, uh, uh, my legacy and my name on that and leave something for, uh, my boys, my two sons, Cole and Aiden. So (laughs) I want to be something. I want to be able to do something great. So, you know what I'm saying? It could be like, well, then, you know, that's my dad. That's my dad that did that. This is, I want to ask you this question. I'm going to ask it to you just straight up. I remember a conversation we had a really long time ago, and you said you were not, you did not want your sons to play football. Yeah. But at the end of the day, how I think now, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I cannot want it, but if, they were that extremely passionate about it. I would have to turn around and support it. I'm Why not didn't you want it, them to play? Um, it's it's uh, the the health value of it. You know the the, the shock value. You know it, it's it's like it's like beer. You got a born on date. And there's only so much, you know, time that you're going to have uh, within it if you're fortunate to be, you know, healthy at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's 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 a modern day gladiator sport. And, you know, 
I know that there are being there are rules being put into place. Like the other day, Canada uh, just regulated that they are across the whole country in Canada, obviously, from ages, I think it's eight and under, mm-hmm. they have banned them playing football. Only thing they could do is play flag football. So it's down the touch, so, no more um, combat, I mean, no, what's it called? Contact? Contact, zero contact uh, uh, up until, you know, you're eight years old. Now, I started football at age, at let's just say five. Mm-hmm. And and they start younger and younger four. now, especially like in Texas and Florida and stuff. Like as soon as they could walk, they're on a Texas, team in a helmet. Florida, Georgia, you know, you got three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and they're, if they're, you know, big enough that, you know, they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um in um, little league football, they've they've also you know came up with rules that they don't they're not allowing. Uh, is it little league football or is it a pop? It's Pop Warner. Sorry, mm-hmm. Pop Warner has it to where you know they're not going to let the kids get down into a three point stance anymore because you know you stand the risk of basically uh, uh, jamming your neck. If you're in that three-point stance and, you know, it's something that has to be learned and taught. And so for me, again, I'm not mm-hmm. pushing or steering my boys in that direction. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, as I see them now, they have a lot of the qualities that, you know, essentially that I, you don't see most kids having well, until your whole, they're... Your whole family play football. Your brothers play football. Yeah. Your nephew plays football too, right? Doesn't so, correct. Yeah, I have yeah. Nephew. You guys are kind now, of built for it, <laughs> right? Again, it's it's all by choice. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I'm gonna put them in other things, cool. and you know, and and then hope that you know uh, they 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 don't. But at the end of the day, if they do, I I have to be supportive i can't be uh, a hypocrite in, in 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 that and again i think for them you know like right now i mean i got the oldest working on the piano and then the youngest seems to be rick james in training so you know <laughs> he's over here you know singing with his uh <laughs> singing songs on a fake microphone with his diapers on and he's got this long flowing hair which by I say you have great product my oh, dear you. oh I thank you <laughs> <laughs> that's a big uh, I'm, I'm sorry but I'm, I'm going back to I was devastated by the when you had told me that your children weren't going to play football I was kind of like wow um that's huge because it's such a large component of I'm gonna say American culture like football is a very American game and not just little brown boys but little boys everywhere want to grow up and be a quarterback or a, you know linebacker or wide receiver and they you know run and do their Jerry Rice catches and so on that's a wide receiver All right okay the game is changing <laughs> yeah it's ever evolving and that whole thing and I like I said I've been I've been around the game from its in, in its apex level as far as little league football down here in South Florida mm-hmm. and then up to high school football. And, you know, you got kids, uh, the, the, my team that I'm coaching on right now, there's a, we got a kid that's in the eighth grade and 
he is a he's a freak. He's a freak of nature. He's a physical phenom. <laughs> Seriously. And he hasn't even begun to shave yet. He's like 13 going on. And he had over 680 yards for us as an eighth grader playing against high school wow. competition. He's just running the over him? He is a grown man. <laughs> I'm serious. He's been on he's national TV. His name is Brandon Ennis. And you know what? Wow. I've been kids that, uh, uh, that have been able to play in middle school against high schoolers because they just have, they have everything going in the right direction. And the only thing that can mess them up is themselves. And um, it's it's for me it's it's more of it's guidance and mm-hmm. and understanding so that kid could potentially understand and know what he is and what he is worth and you know and making sure that they they take care of themselves and their family you know down the road but at the same time protecting their their number one asset which is themselves. What so, are some of the biggest challenges that you see these kids have? Um, that you're coaching, that you're, you know, you're trying to preserve, preserve this greatness? Like, what are some of the challenges they're having? Well, first and foremost, in the state of Florida per capita, mm-hmm. if, we, if there was a number being, um, let's just say, there's over 398 institutions out there between Division I being the highest level to Division One AA, um, we put out over seventy-five to eighty-five percent of the college football athletes out there year in and year out. Wow! In the state now, the, the the only other state that could do that and match that per capita is Louisiana. That's going to get because Louisiana. you know yeah. it's smaller, and you know they do cover a lot. Then you have your bigger states, obviously, being Texas and um, California. But uh, with what we do, and for me, it's just making sure a kid understands who they are and what they're worth. And you know what I'm saying? And, and, And maximizing and understanding their abilities and how much they can uh, uh, potentially do for not only themselves, but for their family and their family's families and their neighborhood and, you know, the community that they come out of. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, I say life coach, yeah. more of a life coach. Most of these players never play professionally, right? Uh, I got a lot of guys that are playing professionally You do, right now. but I'm saying, like, the percentage of, like, all those folks that go, like, let's say all these Florida kids that are going to, let's just talk about Florida. Florida, they're going to high school. You know, they're getting education at good institutions, then going to college. Most of those college players will not see a professional field ever. Uh, Law of numbers, you are correct, but we are in that percentage that they do. Higher upper echelon, aside from, like I said, per capita, Texas and California. Okay. So, the ones that don't, again, that, that 
I'm I'm hoping that they, you know, they understand and they pick up or they have somebody around them that's in their corner that, you know, knows and understands what they should be getting aside from walking out. Because I've seen a lot of guys, you know, as far as uh, guys that I played with and guys that I've I've had the, the pleasure of coaching you know, come out and they don't even have the three year or the four year. They don't have nothing. They don't have. You mean the degree? Yeah. Correct. After all of that. Yeah. After all of that, all of that time that they punch in and, you know, it's, and you got to see it for yourself. It's an eight to 10 hour day Mm -hmm. and they control a majority of it aside from, you know, you, uh, you know, you being in class, but other than that, when you're not in class, that's ownership and they have you and they have that time because that's what you basically as a student athlete have to do in order to be uh, a, a part of getting your scholarship re-signed every year because mm-hmm. it's a year to year contract. And, yeah. you know, a lot of families and people and kids don't understand that every year you got to go in, sit down inside the. Uh, 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 whether it be in the athletic director's office or inside um, um, your own football office itself, you got to sit down and you got to resign that contract. And some people don't get that contract renewed because they might not be meeting the expectation of whatever it is that that coach, you know, is desired. So it's, it's a lot of give mm-hmm. and a lot of take. We used to talk so, about that a lot. In fact, that it's a job. Um, it's leaning a little bit more towards indentured servitude, yes, where, you know, but it's a job. It's like you're an 18-year-old that now has this job and you have to meet these requirements and and perform or you're not going to have your job anymore. Um, it's not like somebody's going, oh, yeah, come to school. We think you're worthy. It's like, no, we need you to do something. Um, so I, it is – I. I think a, a lot of children blessed when they find somebody that can impart that knowledge and give them that mentorship because it's a huge responsibility. It's bigger than we used to talk about all the time. I was like, you have a much bigger responsibility than me just showing up for school, you know, and somebody paying for it. And I just have to go to class and, you know, do what I have to do. It's like you have to do that and you have to meet all these contract requirements. Um, and at the end of the day, when we talk about the indentured servitude, it's like, okay, you are giving up certain freedoms, but understand the privilege of that education and the fact that it is coming for free and take advantage of that and move on to, you know, understand that you might not make it. You probably won't make it for a long time um, in the league, but use that that education to take you somewhere else. I mean, we both know people that we've gone to school with that have done very different things from hospital administration to still working in sports, but filling in other verticals like sports management, uh, statistics, coaching, uh, mentorship, camps. You also have um, a camp called Chomp and Stomp, Plug, 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 Chomp plug, and plug, stomp. plug, chomp and stomp. No, I think it's great because as a coach, um, and as somebody who's woke in the um, the area of understanding that this is a whole education that you can get with athletics, I think it's great that you have started. And I want you to talk about it. This camp for kids to work on skills, but you're a life coach, so talk about that a little bit. Chomp and stomp was 
formed in the summer of 2014 uh, when I was with my wife in the bathroom having great thought and talk. And she was just like... Uh, <laughs> I got a visual, and I was like, y'all must have a really big bathroom. <laughs> well, let, let, let's do something, you know, uh, during the summer in order to not only work with our team, but reach out within the community, because over there, it was in uh, Cape Coral, Florida, which is the western side of the state of Florida, where a majority of the the transplant people that come from there are from Germany, uh, the Midwest, Ohio, uh, Illinois, because they have some some of the suburbs of Illinois people, and all of those people are transient. I want to say they're the snowbirds. They come in for X amount of part of the season, and then they end up leaving mm. as far as retiring community. So, you know, a lot of the kids were either from that Cape Coral, Fort Myers area, or they were the transient kids of uh, parents that basically uh, moved there. So we put together a camp, and at the time it was just uh, catering to ages, I want to say eight to about, I had guys 21, 22 years old, and we did uh, speed training. We did a mentoring uh, uh, program and section of it where, you know, if they were like in high school, we helped them sign up for the NCAA eligibility center. And we did a lot of defensive position specific stuff as far as working, as far as being a linebacker, being a defensive back, being a defensive lineman. So, uh, that camp has basically gone on now up until this year, which I have yet to start putting in everything back into motion as far as the camp. But it's grown. We did partnerships with uh, the, the, the Rotary Clubs. We did partnerships. I tried to reach out to the, the different libraries. I tried to reach out and and you know, network as much as I possibly could on the radio. I did everything to, you know, get as many people into it and involved. And majority of uh, my clientele now that we had on the West Coast still are the same clientele to this day. So they'll travel over when yeah. we do open camps and, you know, still support uh, me and the wife's business. So what I'm looking to do next with it is, you know, the new craze uh, in high school athletics and middle school athletics specifically is uh, seven on seven, which it's like seven on seven. flag football meets touch. But, you know, the only protective gear that they really have on is like this makeshift helmet. And um, you have a lot of uh, different teams from the state of Florida mm -hmm. going against all the different teams from various other states. And a lot of the, 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 those teams um, put together different uh, 
components of their uh, their camp as far as going around and looking at different uh, universities when they go to camps and bringing those kids to um, the tournaments and when and when they do win, they obviously turn in turn get sponsorship from the Adidas, the Nikes, mm. the Under Armour. And it's a, a build. It's a business that's continuously growing. But I think the, the 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 thing that's missing from it more is like the mentorship and the understanding, rather than the branding and the marketing of it. So I think uh, a different dynamic that I'm going to bring and the wife is going to bring to this is, uh, you know, building the the overall student athlete and helping them to understand. I don't know if you want to throw the word woke in there, but yeah, I think for <laughs> making sure that they understand who they are as, as, as not only a commodity, but as, as a whole, you know, uh, a lot of the kids that we do deal with are uh, of Haitian descent, Jamaican descent, um, a lot of the Caribbean community, um, the new boom, here in the state of Florida is you got kids, uh, uh, the night, we got a lot of Nigerian kids coming in oh. and, uh, you know, they come from like, let's just say a soccer background where they were running or some of them in, in Nigeria do a lot of different wrestling. So it's like cross training and, you know, being able to show them and teach them how to grasp and understand and concept this game of football and, you know, maximizing their abilities as best as we can. So it's, it's, it's a booming and growing market. But again, I think uh, the aspect of uh, having not only coaches, but people around you that are helping you to understand the overall you. Love it. What, um, how do you feel about the game of football? Uh, I think it, 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 it mirrors a lot, the game of life, as far as, uh, the ups and downs, the adversity, the, 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 the continuous, uh, hard work that you have to put into it in order to be able to get a quality product on the back end. Mm -hmm. So, um, it definitely does show the struggles between, you know, on the outside of it for me, you know, the different, uh, personalities coming together and having to cooperate and, and work in cohesion as one and being, you know, a, a full-bodied member and understanding, you know, that other person in order to have that other person's back. So there's a lot of different uh, uh, blending and, 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 and understanding that has to go into that in order for you to want to play for another person that hard and including to be able to play for that coach and whatever it is that, you know, you, you hang your hat on and your beliefs on. So I think the game of football is, is so much more. And, um, but again, there is that factor of the, 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 the health side of it. And, you know, again, we're still, uh, uh, growing understanding there's so much science going into it and um they're they're continuously developing better products in order to uh 
uh, combat the potential of those uh, uh, injuries as well down the road. So I will remain even keel on the ideal. I happen to be good at it. So guess what? I, I, I will have to continue to support. <laughs> what would you say to folks, and you hear this a lot, um, that are less than excited about are are people continuing to, you know, look to athletics or play athletics or make that central as part of our culture um, that are saying, you know, I don't want my kids looking at football or basketball. They should be, you know, studying and and um, aren't necessarily into that route of that 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 focus on athletics. Well, let me let me let me tap into your inner inner uh, notorious B.I.G. quote. Now, I don't know and don't hold me to this and I, I might not get it right. But he said either you had a what a, a jump shot or you selling crack rock. Something like am I am I on that line? It's, it's something like that. Right. <laughs> okay. But that said, not everybody's going to be a professional as far as uh, uh, getting a trade or um, being an engineer or being a doctor, uh, being a lawyer. Uh, some people can't even see past uh, uh, middle school to get into high school. So again, everybody has a road that they have to go down and not everybody's road is going to be the same. So I'm an advocate for yeah, I'm an advocate for athletics in the sense that, you know, I hope that the athlete understands what they are and what their worth is and know that there's just out there than the athletic aspect. And, you know, you can have a, a, a well-rounded, in my eyes, life like myself to be able to say, yeah, you were a complete student athlete and, you know, you, you can give back in that sense. But I think everybody has has to be able to travel their own road. And as long as there are roads out there, mm -hmm. I say, ride it out. You know? For me, again, you know, academically, I, if I took away from the athletics, yeah, I probably could have been uh, uh, more of a student, but I had a gift. And I had to use that gift. And so for me, it was a 55-45 a, a split, you know. And But in, in, in other people's cases, in some other kids' cases, especially down here in, in the state of Florida, where you got kids from Ahoke, you got kids from uh, uh, Broward County, you got kids from Dade County. And, you know, they're... they're, they're uh, Social and neighborhood problems are completely different from others. And that might be their only way out. And that might be their only opportunity. But what about like when they say, you know, and like I get it, the whole, you know, this might be their only way out. Um, but are we teaching them incorrectly in that? For me, like a lot of the, what I see is the end goal for a lot of folks is, and we have folks that we went to school like this too. Like we talk about, you know, a lot of them went, got found professional paths and other things. But we also know a lot of cats we went to school with that we don't know what happened to them. Because after they didn't go pro, that was it. 
And they have the same four-year degree we have. So, you know, we, you ha we have to recognize the fact that there is a big false dream out there. And I know that you are on an elite level and that you deal with elite athletes and you've been a coach to elite folks. But like, I know a lot of cats that wanted to play professional NBA basketball or professional NFL football didn't make it past high school with that dream um, or maybe went to a JUCO, like a junior college for for to start to try to hope to get somewhere else and then couldn't even get you know, eligibility out of a JUCO to go. Um, so I, I don't know, like I'm always trying to figure out that, that how do we instill through coaches like you and people experience folks like you an education to those cats that it's like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, we can own athletics from every aspect of it. Some of you are going to play. Some of you are going to own the team. Some of you are going to coach the team. You know, some of you are going to do stats. You're going to own the laundering service that washes all the towels at the back of the stadium. Um, and to start to educate the kids in ways of like, you might love the sport, but you might not be able to play it. And you can still be involved in the sport like you, you know, like you were still every day involved in a sport that you loved and that you were naturally good at. But you don't it's, have to hang your hat on playing forever. You did get to play, but. It's a tough, tough angle to continuously be able to pursue because in the state of Florida, yeah, we may put out the most, but as far as uh, union-wise, there is no union for coaches. You know, you hmm. basically get a stipend, and that stipend, as far as I know, from the bottom of Florida to the top of Florida, it could go anywhere from twenty five hundred to sixty five hundred dollars, and that's year round. What do so, you mean to coach high school? To coach high school football, your stipend is anywhere from twenty five hundred to sixty five hundred, being either an assistant or the head coach. Hmm. Stipend. Okay. So payment, right? So whatever you're giving as far as of your time, you're giving that because you're giving from your heart, obviously. A lot of the coaches in Texas versus Florida, you got guys that are making a high degree of, you know, what would be salaries that uh, mm -hmm. college coaches or NFL coaches are in turn turning around and making as far as for the year. So Texas is a state. Georgia is a state. I think I'm in the wrong state. Florida, but that's as far Florida. as, but you, you're already a teacher at that school. And then that's the additional stipend to coach the well, team, right? I teach, I teach at a different school. I actually teach at mm -hmm. a alternative center inside of the Broward County School Board. I coach at a private school, NSU University School, which is right next to, we're literally a stone's throw from the Miami, but where the Miami Dolphins practice, that is where our, uh, our field is, our practice facilities, and the campus for uh, NSU University School. Okay. All right. So I, yeah, I work at a private school and I teach. Yes. At a public school. 
And I wanted to talk to about that too, because we're talking about you know Florida producing a lot of the athletes, but also knowing that Florida has the public new teaching in the public school, some of the lowest public school performance. So we're sending these Correct. kids out to school, focused on athletics, and then we're all giving them one of the worst educations in the country. Um, so yes. how is what, what's your experience? Um, teaching at... Well, this this is my uh, uh, fifth year in teaching, but I've just been in a, every school in Broward County in a multitude of different uh, uh, capacities. Mm -hmm. And um, let's just say the Common Core standards have basically been dropped as of recently, but it's not completely out because the year has to end. You know, they just voted for that uh, the other day uh, in Tallahassee. So the Common Core standards as far as teaching has basically been dropped with uh, the new uh, governor that we have basically been put into place in the state of Florida. Um, he, he, alongside with our uh, superintendent, which is uh, Robert Runcie, He's got, he's basically been the face for, um, uh, in case anybody didn't know, the Douglas shootings, which uh, that's about 35, 45 minutes from my school, but it's inside of the whole entire county. And the school that I work at, which is called Pine Ridge Alternative Center, we house and we case a lot of every student in Broward County that may have uh, extenuating circumstances because we have this program called the Promise Program, which the shooter from the Douglas shootings was supposed to come to, but he never came to. And it's kind of like uh, you could either be uh, court ordered or judge ordered, I mean, court ordered, or you were basically uh, sent by your assistant principal or principal to our school to uh you know we have a bunch of uh, social workers psychologists and we try to uh, engage and uh, find out you know whatever situation or circumstance that that kid may be going through in order to provide them with uh, help that they may need in order to get over whatever it is that might be bothering them or got them put in or placed into our program so we do that for grades K through 12 all throughout the entire county. So that would be from Hallandale, Florida, which is the edge of Miami, all the way up into uh, Deerfield, which would be the edge of uh, Palm Beach County. What do you think some of your greatest frustrations are? Greatest frustrations are uh, undermanned. Uh, underpaid and um, I think uh, when I say underman, I think there needs to be a lot more therapists, psychologists, social workers into uh, a lot of the schools uh, before we can actually, you know, teach a student a lot of the different things that they may have going on, whether they might be uh, ESE, uh, 504, these are all the different uh, codes that, you know, a lot of the kids are 
are, are, are basically placed into and it's because of whatever extenuating circumstance that they have or exceptionality. So working with them and, and getting them into a, a good place to be able to become a learner, an actual learner, and then put back into their normal school or class setting. So, uh, do you think that your what you your aspirations for this uh, program? Do you? I mean, for the 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 support that you're asking for to and, um, and to alleviate your frustrations. Do you think that that's the intent of the program? Like, do you what what is the intention of the school? Like, what do you? What's the mission of the school? What are they planning the on mi- doing? The mission of the school is to be able to get a lot of those students that we are housing or harboring and getting them back into their normal school setting. So they're meant to go back to school, to their they're their other the school they come back from, they left from. Their own school. Okay. So whether it be we work with them to uh, curtail a behavior, um, um, teach them a trade, teach them a skill, uh, teach them a coping mechanism so they will, you know, not go off or do whatever it was that they did that got them in there. That's what we need, I guess, more assistance to be able to do because we are definitely uh, short, short staff with a majority of uh, the kids that we house on a, on a monthly basis. So I see your you know, frustration they, when I speak to you during the day. Like I know what you I don't know what you go through, but I see your frustrations. Um and you know what we talk about. I I often I it saddens me when children are reduced to code numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a 504 or that's an ESE or whatever. Um and I wonder in the same way, in the same parallel that the prison system is there to like just remove folks and has no real intention of rehabilitating them to get back into an environment. I mean, we talked about this a lot. It's like these little prisons. I, yeah. I see, I see a lot of relatability. Um, I haven't got to uh, work in the DOJ, which is the... Um, Department of Juvenile Justice, but we have a lot of uh, uh, former teachers that basically came in from the DOJ, and a lot of the stuff that they're doing is basically mirror image of uh, uh, the, 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 the police-like mentality. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these kids are, you know, in essence, in my mind, and I sometimes see it are taking on a prison-like mentality and it's it's something that you know potentially may be trained or untrained and a lot of these kids end up falling right into uh i want to say you had this conversation what two weeks ago uh the the recidivism rate Mm -hmm. is pretty uh it's pretty high as far as uh going from uh, uh, alternative center to the DOJ, Department of Juvenile Justice. So a lot of these kids might be transitioning, but there could be something something much more put into place so they can, 
perhaps not be, you know, as I say, institutionalized. Yeah, because it kind of, it, for me, it just, it, it's a never ending cycle. It's like, this is, you're institutionalized here until you're of age and you can go to prison. Um, and, and on the onset of all of that now, now, Selma, this is where I, I get like really, really concerned because, you know, you have things completely done change from, uh, since when, you know, yourself, Olivia and I went to school because, you know, you have a lot more, uh, uh, communities involved. You have the LGBTQ, uh, whole component and you have a lot of different, uh, uh, young human beings coming in with much more problems on their shoulder than the actual help can, you know, take care of. And that's why I said there is a shortage because you have a lot of kids that are, 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 are confused and, and, and not sure what direction to go in, but they might be seeing a lot of these uh, behaviors mm-hmm. at home from, you know, maybe their parents and, you know, they might be mirror imaging what they have going on or really and truly, yeah, they might be uh, 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 on the verge of a gender switch or might be gay or lesbian. Again, all of these different things are coming in, but there are not enough people to handle and be able to work with, you know, these uh, uh, children that need these services uh, on a, on a, on a larger scale, yeah. you know? So basically the, com- the, the, the world's a lot more complicated than we're solving for in these situations Correct. and these kids and need a lot more support. See, we have to change a little bit with the times in order to potentially be able to get ahead of it. Cause if we don't get ahead of it, I mean, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. And what do most of the students look like? Like, are they brown? Uh, yes. Uh, a majority of our troubled, our troubled kids in Broward County are brown, Hispanic, uh, and, and other. What do the know? teachers look like? Uh, are they brown too? Our, our teachers are brown. Brown as well. Our social workers are brown and Caucasian, and our psychologists are Caucasian. Okay, I was just curious because I was doing some reading about um, just education. Just curious because I was talk. I don't know very many black men educators. Um, so, and then I looked it up and found out that only. Two percent of the nation's teachers are black men. Uh, Correct. Yeah, which is there's actually a group in Philadelphia that's trying to like double those numbers by 2025 called the Fellowship. They're pretty dope. I looked them up and read about them. They're pretty great. You got you got the Fellowship. You got Teach for America. There's all these different like uh, organizations that are going out and targeting black men. To try but to get more black the, men teachers, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. The, within the state of Florida itself, that number is continuously on a decline because I did make mention 
not only as far as a uh, uh, coaching stipend, but teaching salary is uh, is uh, is low, and it doesn't match up for what you know where we are as far as uh, all the transient people that come through the state of Florida and make the state of Florida home. Yeah. So if you're saying, let's just say, first year teacher. Uh, thirty nine, thirty nine thousand eight hundred and seventy six dollars with uh, your full benefits if you're a single family, but if you have to put X Y Z amount of people on your insurance, now you're talking about a whole other number. So you better hope that you know uh, your 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 spouse is either a, a, a doctor or something else, so you can basically in turn offset salary. Mm. So the numbers. The dollars don't make sense. Yeah. And yeah. That's why. They know, attributed the it to a lot of stuff, too, including black school closures, like black only school closures. Like this is since the 50s. The number has been dwindling. Um, uh, uh, black only school closures with integration. Um, we get hired less. Black men get hired less. Black women get hired less. But black men to the greatest degree. Um and then there was massive rounds of layoffs with a closing of schools. Anytime education gets a hit, a hit or a cut. Um, but whatever the reasons are, whether it be our choices, whether it be the fact that education doesn't pay, or whether it be that it's black men aren't going to education, um, the importance of black men in education, especially when we're talking about not just the hoping that these 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 uh, boys come in, boys and girls come in and get the healing that they need to go back and become learners in their normal home environment. But I always, I very much question the reason that they were sent there in the first place. Um, they, it's been proven, like Hopkins has done studies, it's been proven that white teachers expect less academic success from black students, um, that they are less likely to be placed in gifted programs, um, that a black student, a black teacher is less likely to see behavioral problems in a black child, where a white teacher will say, yeah, they got a problem, they got an issue, so then they're flagged into the system that turns them through, and then eventually that's the, you know, what they call it the, the school to prison pipeline. That's where it's starting, that's where it's happening. You get kicked out of the public school into the secondary school hoping to get, you know, back into your learning environment, and then you go into this loop that's not meant to take you anywhere but to prison. Um, so the importance of coaches, teachers, folks like you in these environments to help mentor, guide, um, and nurture these kids with intention, knowing that their homes may be broken, but, uh, we shouldn't necessarily fail them, um, in society, I think is really, really important and should be addressed. Um, and that's why I asked you, you know, the kids are brown or the teacher's brown. Is a psychologist brown? Like? You know, it's important and not just for brown kids to have brown teachers, but for white kids to have black male teachers so that they don't fear black men when they have them in that Correct. capacity. Yeah. I um, mean, our, our, our principal, he, he's, a, uh, he's a double up. He's an alpha man, first off. And then uh, he's also doctor. He's a doctor. He's got his doctorate and... He's an ordained minister, hmm. preacher as well. So I call him a triple threat. He, he seems to have an understanding, but it's just so much 
uh, different fighting he has to do on a administrative level in order to be able to, you know, get all of the assistance that is uh, 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 required. And like I said before, um, our superintendent has uh, uh, graced the pages of uh, Time Magazine and some other, a lot of the different things, but he's also feeling a lot of the different heat from uh, the governor mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the things that have to be put into place in order for, you know, not only this county, but this state to be better as a whole in the, 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 the teaching aspect. The, the, the thing for me on a personal level is to be a buffer for a lot of potential athlete students or student athletes so they have an understanding like look you know this is you now but let's just say if this injury or you end up taking this class right here this semester ends up happening and you don't do well is for you to have that understanding and 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 knowledge of yourself to be able to take the bumps and the bruises that's going to come along with, you know, whatever your road may be, the four years, the five years, or uh, shoot, even if you were able to turn it into, you know, being even a, a student assistant or a graduate student assistant, there's levels to it and understanding that that kid, that girl, that boy has to, uh, uh, put themselves into as far as knowing like, okay, you know, I've seen a lot of guys going to depression because they didn't know what they were going to do after. Well, what's in place so that there is a little bit of understanding of trying to put together a a plan. Okay. Well, if a don't work, then I'm going to go to B and if B don't work and I'm going to have C and I've seen a lot of people, uh, not only guys that I've played with, but, you know, guys that I've coached go into that dark place and, and they could not come out of that dark place. And, you know, there are the tales of, well, what happened to this hometown hero Mm -hmm. and, you know, what is he doing now? And that person doesn't know how to handle the, you know, they don't like me anymore. They don't, well, they don't like you as that, uh, uh, just regular person anymore. They don't like you because you don't have that prowess or that title anymore. They don't know how to handle that. So uh, for me, it's again, trying to be that buffer to a large contingent of uh, different people and working with them and helping them to understand who they are, what they're worth. And, you know, these are the things that you're going to have to do. So if this were to happen, then you can do this or you could put yourself into uh, 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 or down this road, or mm-hmm. again, just having a plan. So you are thinking verticals, Wayne. You are. <laughs> You're guiding them to the verticals. Twenty years later. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Tyson 
said it best. Everybody got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. And, you know, how do you how do you respond or react after that blow? That to me is the 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 key emphasis as far as being able to bridge that gap and having true understanding of who you are and 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 you know the four to five years that you're going to have at somebody's uh institution so i hope i kind of answered that and yeah gave you good enough points yeah no that was great great job (laughs) thank you i want another question let's go (laughs) so i got a question about specifically about uh about paying the players for about paying the student athletes which i know is a spicy topic um but my question is a little bit more specific in the sense of do you think it would have a greater impact if we actually paid the players or paid the student athletes or um if they set up a sort of system where no matter what you're guaranteed uh to get a degree and some sort of actual education even what's it called? Regardless of you got an injury or something happened to you, which one do you think would have a greater impact? It's it's still tough when we talk about the forty acres and the mule because that's damn near you know relatable to what it could and would be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's out of hand in 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 some essence already because you know there are kids out there you know getting. Uh, used and and paid and and seeing different parts of the country because of this game as it is right now. Mm. Uh, I the NCAA is like honestly they're behind in the sense as far as trying to get ahead of everything because um, we've been so delayed with you know that potential process you know you have the street agents you got the street vendors mm-hmm. you know you got uh, you got the seven on sevens you got the all these different things and entities that are already out there uh um cornering the market with a lot of these student athletes already mm-hmm. you know you have you got the nike opening you got under armor they have uh, X amount of different tournaments. So these kids are already exposed into branding and marketing light years ahead of mm-hmm. what the NCAA itself is actually ready to handle. You know, uh, even when it comes down to, you know, kids getting offers and, you know, how many offers a, a, a school puts out per year for, let's just say, the classes of. Right now, we're going to be going into class of 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. And like I told you, we already got an eighth grader that has more offers than two of my seniors on my team already. And That's he's in nuts. the eighth grade. <laughs> That's crazy. So, for example, for him, I mean, you have product pushers, you know, already step into him as an eighth grader hey you know get on this brand be with this team do this uh uh, get out here uh sign this and like i said you got kids in sixth seventh eighth grade if their talent level is there p 
people are going to in turn turn around and maximize on that opportunity. Mm. So for me personally, I think the NCAA they they got they got a lot of work to do to catch up and combat the already things that they've been able to let get ahead of this already. So I'm going to give you one more instance. Mm. Uh, two years ago, um, there was a, a, a there was this market for uh, college coaches. Uh, Jim Harbaugh he got on the cusp mm. of it. Mm. They were doing satellite camps. And what it was with the satellite camp is, you know, you're not coming to our campus. We're going to come into your neighborhood yeah, and a neighborhood. Yeah. And they had to basically do uh, partnerships, whether it be with uh, either a brand, meaning the brand that already represents that school, uh, Jordan brand, Nike brand, what, what they had and they were transitioning from that time to uh Let's just say the school that I work at does not have a football program. So I, in turn, saw the market and what was getting ready to happen. So I did a partnership with Jim Harbaugh, Mm. and we ran a satellite camp. And I only did, I want to say, about a week and a half's worth of marketing on that. I had over 500 kids show up at $20 a head. Now, some moms can't even get enough enough money to be able to take or uh, have their child take the SAT or the ACT, but they'll find that money to make sure the majority of their kids are getting into XYZ camp to be seen mm-hmm. by XYZ coach. So the partnership I did then, I had probably one of the largest satellite camps in the state of Florida, and I had over... Aside from the University of Michigan, I had 20 other Division I institutions all here for one day only in order for a kid to be able to showcase and highlight their talent. Mm. And that was, you know, my network as far as, you know, a lot of the different coaches that I know and them being able to come into this talent-rich area. So needless to say, the one year that the satellite camps were allowed, was the last year that the satellite camps were allowed because the NCAA potentially saw it as, you know what, that could get out of hand for recruiting. It could get out of hand any which way. And at the same time, they they could not get their cut off yeah, of that. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, right. yeah, the words, I was like, they just can't get the cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's eliminate it altogether and there are no more satellite camps. Mm-hmm. So... Again, I will say this, uh, NCAA has a lot of stuff that they are, are capable of doing and, and, and making rules, you know, pad or fit, let's just say Zion Williamson or mm-hmm. uh, whatever the next big name there is out there in NCAA athletics, football, basketball, track and field wise they can curtail and make rules as they just or deem fit mm. mm-hmm. and to me it's it excuse me it's a little bit of a hypocrisy that actually leads me to a, a second like a follow-up question do you think they actually want to get ahead of anything because i think that's the 
I think I, I'm thinking I'm like it's a conflict of interest for them to actually even try to get ahead of everything. It, it, to me, it serves better for them, at least in their pockets, because they've made so much money off the backs of all these student athletes, especially mm. African American athletes and Black athletes. That I'm just like, I feel like they're trying to give us the illusion that they're trying to get ahead on things, but I think at the end of the day, they're trying to keep the status quo as much. Like they're kind of playing both sides in the public face. They're trying to be like. Oh, we're trying to be more progressive, but at the end of the day, they're really just being reactionary. At least I think they're not even react. I mean, it was almost twenty-five years ago. Chris Webber did that interview where he said that he took he took a his girlfriend out on a date at Michigan, and he walked. He took his girlfriend out on a date at Michigan, and he walked by his jersey, and he couldn't even afford to buy her like a burger. But he's like looking at his jersey on sale for like a hundred bucks in the window. Mm. So I mean that's. That was when we were watching the Fab Five play 20 years ago, whatever. So, no, I don't even think they're being reactionary. They're just being like, oh, uh, yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if you accept advertising dollars when you're a student athlete, do you forfeit your scholarship? Or do there's some NCAA rule where you're not allowed to accept advertising dollars, correct? Um, there, I mean, the NCAA got so many things in place and there's so much, uh, gray area in there to where, you know, a lot of, uh, like I said, a lot of these, these kids have aligned themselves in, 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 in situations where they might be aligned with somebody that understands the gray area mm-hmm. and knows how to operate in that gray area. And then there's the ignorance of it where they absolutely had no clue as to what may be going on. And then they, let's just say they signed something and they pick something up for mommy dearest. And now all of a sudden their whole eligibility is completely at a loss because they didn't know. So there's the, 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 the ignorance portion as far as, you know, a lot of kids just not knowing. And then there's, you know, there's some, there, there are some guys and people out there that, you know, operate in that gray area. And I see it a lot, especially here in the state of Florida. Do you, you guys know, I, have like some sort of like large scale mentoring program for these kids that I don't like, are there names of like mentoring or like other than the work you're doing alone? Um, I know you got, you're still all your, the, you guys are still members of coaches associations and, and professional coaches associations and things like that, where you can get together with your other players, the Tulane alumni football association. Um, is there an organization that can, these guys, all of these kids, like you said, I feel like they need more coaching off the field and how to deal with life. And a lot of these parents might not even be able to decipher these contracts or what's going on. Like they need help because there's a way to actually flip this. You want to throw money at me? Let's lawyer up and figure out a way to really get a piece of the pie. I've, I've, I've been fortunate to reach out to a lot of guys that, you know, I, I played with and, and continuously bounce ideas off with, uh, Brett Timmons over mm-hmm. and uh, he's at Bradenton Southeast. He's the head coach over there. I talked to Bernard Roberson. Ah, he is doing great yeah, things. Is he? He's, he's in Louisiana. Things. He's in New Orleans still. In Louisiana. He's in New Orleans. He's uh, head of the NFLPA, uh, 
National Football League Players Association. And he's a former Chicago Bear, right? And he's a former Chicago Bear. I I talk with him a lot. I talk with uh, Kendall Francis, which he has has a not-for-profit where he's mentoring and doing a lot of uh, different things as far as with uh, a a lot of the youth over there in uh, uh, New Orleans and disparaging different neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. He's providing suits and, and we all are bouncing and collaborating and, and, you know, trying to come up with different ideas and at the same time market and network and using each other. So it's, uh, it's been good. And, and, and it's, it's great to be able to, you know, uh, work with people that, you know, you were in the trenches with and, you built the bond and you became a, 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 a family member with. It's just a matter of me ultimately being able to make it all tie in together and make it work. So I guess my, my what do you call it? My network will be my net worth. Oh, that's a nice line, Wayne. Mm-hmm. What was Josh saying? Drop them bars, yeah, drop them bars. <laughs> I dig it. No, it's really important. I think the work that you guys are doing is important. I think that you guys can't talk to these kids better than we can. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of black women educators out there, but I don't think that I can actually connect with a young young athlete the same way that you can, whether it be a, a girl or a boy. Uh, you know, a, a young girl or a young, a young woman or a young man, um, to be able to tell them about your experiences, what they're going to face, how to say no to the fast money, to think about long money, think about the game. And ultimately, I would really like to see, we were talking about the NCAA thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NCAA makes so much money off of the backs Billions. Of, of all of these kids. Yeah. And these kids will never see the money. Like you may have as a you know quarterback made a school fifty million dollars during your career, hurt yourself and you know go back yeah. to a small town and never work again. Like yeah. the other crazy thing is too. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sure he knows this. Like uh, the uh, you know a lot of times the high the most like the most highest paid person state official is the college football coach in any state. Really? Yeah. What's that clicking clicking noise? Yeah, yeah, like for example, really? yeah, yeah. Usually, like, which is which is crazy, and it, it really the reason why I bring that up is because like one of the things that, and I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this too, is if we paid just paid teachers more, like in general, like, do you think that I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but I'm like if we doubled or tripled teachers' salaries to what they should be, because at the end of the day, if you're going to a college institution, if you're going to like the most prestigious college or or just like a college in general, are you really thinking that the head football coach is the, high, <laughs> is the highest paid? I mean, it makes sense because he's technically bringing in the most revenue. So that's where people- In capitalism, it makes sense. In capitalism, it makes sense, but you know, that that goes that goes to a deeper question of what are what are your morals? Like, yeah, what, what are where what are our values? values? Yeah. yeah, where is the what do we find important as a society? Yeah, you know. Yeah, but I just in, yeah. in Georgia, the highest paid <laughs> teaching official, and he didn't even teach. His name was Rush Probst. He was uh, 
he was uh, on the show. I can't remember the name of it, but it was on MTV a couple of years ago. And he used to be the head coach of uh, Hoover High School in Alabama. But now, he just presently, he was the head coach of Colquitt County in Georgia. And he was making over $140,000 a year just to be the coach. Nothing else but the coach. Not the athletic director. He was just the coach. Wow. The highest paid teacher in all of the state of Georgia last year. And he had his own, because uh, he had cancer, he had his own doctor, private doctor, and uh, the highest potential insurance uh, in order to be able to combat that cancer at the same time. He just got fired, though, too. They just let him go. Well, he wasn't winning? He's got a deep, dark past. Oh, <laughs> oh okay, okay. It's one of those yeah, oh, I got you. <laughs> Shut it off. Oh, that's a different show. <laughs> that's our show for today. I want to thank educator, former professional football player, Coach Wayne Blair. I want to thank our wonderful sponsor, the Brown Crayon Project, and our family here at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. Uh, we want to hear from you. Keep the conversation going. Tell us what you think. Talk to us on Twitter at the Brown CEO. Subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes or just go to thebrownceo.com for everything. All right. Thank y'all. <laughs>